the optimal life. Jordan Harbinger, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So I looked at your YouTube page, and the first video that comes up on your featured videos is uh, an interview that you did with Kobe Bryant. Oh, okay. I was like, what's he going to say? I don't even yeah. know what's on there. Yeah. yeah that was, very that was first of all, an unbelievable interview, but you did that fairly close before he passed away, I believe. Yeah. So. I think it was like the last one that he did that wasn't, you know, three minutes long on ESPN or something like that or some TV channel. Yeah. So that was kind of, I don't know, got to choose my words carefully. It wasn't great timing. You know, that's not how you describe something like that, but I think it was a nice opportunity to get some really good information from somebody before they passed away. Although, you know, I would, all things considered, I'd rather he still be around. Of course. So when you did, when the day that he passed away mm -hmm. and you're sitting there and you get the news after interviewing him fairly close to his death, what was that? What was that moment like? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. And a lot of people haven't really paid attention to this. And, and it was an educational moment for me as well in terms of self-awareness, because my first thought was, wow, this is like, a, let, let me let me back up the truck. Whenever a celebrity has passed away in the past, I usually just go, oh, okay. Or sometimes, uh, oh, that's too bad. He was kind of young. When somebody who you know dies, it's totally different. And when a celebrity who you know, even if you're not going over there for dinner on Sunday, dies, it's a totally different game and totally different experience emotionally than when a celebrity you've never even seen their movies passes away. You know, like when Paul Walker from Fast and the Furious passed away, I remember thinking, oh, that's that's too bad. He was a young guy. But that was kind of like the only little bit that I even thought about it. And I had friends that knew him, so I sent them a message. That was the maximum amount of thought I'd ever given a celebrity death up until Kobe. Because when Kobe died, I was like, man, I was literally just months ago talking about how he had big plans for his kids and he was working on this project and he had this other book in the making and he was talking about how much he likes his kids and he asked me about my kids and we were talking about that off camera. And, and some of it was on camera on the Kobe interview, of course, but a lot of it was off camera. And then I was like, none of that is ever going to happen now. He's gone. And one of the girls that he showed me photos of that he was talking about, they're going to do this other thing. They're, she's gone too. And his wife, who he had talked about with me, is now grieving. And it was just totally like three-dimensional as opposed to a lot of what, you know, when you look at the news and you see like, wow, a bomb exploded in uh, Tajikistan. What's for lunch, right? It's not that you're a cold, callous person. It's just, you don't even really know where that is. So why are you going to get worked up about it? This brought everything into a different light. And and I had a strongly negative reaction to people who were like, oh, who cares? Some rich guy died in a helicopter crash. You know, I heard that and I saw that on social media and I just kept thinking, man, you son of a bitch. You know, what are you doing? Why would you say something like that? And I realized, well, you know, I really probably shouldn't be too judgy. Not that I would ever say anything like that. But if I didn't know him at all and I didn't care about basketball, which I also, you know, I might have had a hopefully not as callous and cold, but probably equally emotionless reaction in any case. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a different thing. I mean, it was me. shocking for me and I never talked to the guy in my life, obviously. So the, I, it made me sick, dude. I, I've got three daughters and the feelings that I had knowing that his, yeah. him and his girl, you've got little kids. You, did you just have another one? Yeah. I have a little girl now and I'm like, can you yeah. imagine dying in a freaking public helicopter crash and your kids are watching it on TV. I mean, it's just a nightmare. It's just terrible. It, yeah. Were you able to sleep? I mean, I wasn't able to sleep. I lost some sleep over that. 
Um, you know, I don't remember my sleep. I, I sleep isn't something I usually don't lose. I usually don't have trouble sleeping because I'm always friggin' tired. So maybe oh, that's okay. not the best indicator. But in terms of like never going on a helicopter uh, in my life, that's for sure a thing. Yeah. Um, those talking Hawaii about trips, those Hawaii trips, your kids aren't going to be able to experience those Hawaii no, helicopters. That's never Sorry. happening. Yeah, that's never happening. And yeah. you know, thinking about how all the money in the world can't save you, and be thinking like, "Wow, I've got my whole life ahead of me. Maybe I should be a little more careful." Like people, when people go, "Hey, let's go skydiving," I'm like, "Nope." Yeah. And and it, that's objectively pretty safe. But I'm like, "Nah, no thanks." Yeah. And I've had friends who've got like really nice jets, and they're like, "Yo, look, why don't you come to Maui on my jet?" I'm like, "Nope, I'm good. I'll fly commercial." And they're like, "What's wrong with this guy? Like, you don't want first class jet service? Hell no." I've seen the news. Those things do crash. Sometimes it's rare. I realize this is probably a, a unrealistic negative outcome, you know, but I'm like, I can't. The you don't want to be that high. one in five million that it happens to. Yeah, the stakes are too high, man. Yeah. Like, I'll fly commercial. It's way safer. It's just yeah. a thing. I don't fly. I, I'm, I, And so that has instilled in me an unrealistic fear of certain things because the stakes are so high, man. I don't even friggin' text when I'm walking across streets anymore. <laughs> I look both ways in the crowd. I'm extra careful now. And, yeah. and not, yeah. Dude, not, it's, it's not all because of Kobe, but it's because I have kids. Yeah. Yeah. The kid having kids changes everything. It's a completely yeah. different outlook. Most people, if you don't have a child on your own, it, the, the ignorance is bliss. You don't understand what we're talking about. It's just different. You think, feel, and act differently the moment you totally. have a child. Yeah. Um, yep. So I didn't believe uh, it when people said that either. I was like, whatever. Now yeah, I'm like, of course. Oh, that, that's what they were talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. totally, totally different. Yeah, ignorance is definitely bliss. Um, yeah, so on a more lighter note, uh, shifting gears here, if I say to you, O-H, what do you say? I have no idea what that means. You don't say I-O? No, what does that mean? Is that oh. for the state of oh, Ohio? Geez, I mean, a guy that went to Michigan, I would have thought that you would have been sick to your stomach if I said that. Oh, honestly, I think that I am so... I'm trying to be diplomatic. College sports <laughs> to me is one of those things that I never understood, especially when grown men, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be insulting, when guys, not looking at how dumb college kids were slash are uh, in college, not that they're bad people, they just do stupid stuff. The fact that like 50-year-old guys are like drooling over these football players, I'm just like, get a life, man. I understand it's a sports thing. I'm not that guy. I don't understand it. So when people are like, oh, Ohio State, I'm like, I don't care, man. I was Okay, studying. so at least you knew Ohio State. That's good yeah. enough. Yeah. So you went to law school, and uh, you went to U University of Michigan for undergrad and law school, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I had to think okay. about it. I don't know why, because I almost went to Ohio, finally enough, I went to Ohio State's orientation I'll take a dig at Ohio State. I went to Ohio State's orientation and for law school because I got in. And seated next to me was a very nice guy who was also the cap, uh, quarterback of my high school football team. And he was never very smart. He's not a dumb guy at all. But he was never the brightest bulb in the box. Very nice person. Not going to say his name. Really, really kind guy. I hope he's doing great. But I thought, this person is not really my peer academically. Great athlete. Super nice guy. Love him to death not going to be my peer academically. So, and then everybody kept making jabs like, oh, you went to Michigan? Guess you can still go to law school here. And I was like, I don't want to go to school here. So I drove back that day and I went into the admissions office at the Michigan Law School and I said, I just went to Ohio State's orientation. Please don't make me go there. And they said, well, we have your new application because I'd already gotten denied uh, in the pile. So don't worry, you know, we'll take another look. And I ended up getting into Michigan. The dummies but went to Ohio State in your opinion. 
That's it was, I mean, I didn't, you said it, not me. You yeah. said it, not me. No, it's yeah. honestly, it was a great school, but I just was surprised that somebody who I remember helping with really easy homework in high school was now going to be my classmate in that law school. I'd, and then I went to Michigan and everybody was a million times smarter than me and did way better. And that was a better environment to bring me up. I think if I went to Ohio State, I would have maybe just been fine getting in the middle of the pack. And that's yeah. not what I wanted to yeah. do hey, in listen, law school. I get that. And then, of course, all that hard work, University of Michigan, top 20, I don't know, top 30 at law school. Top 10. All, right? Not that I'm, all, looking, all not that that I'm paying hard, attention. <laughs> yeah, all that, all that work. And then you end up being miserable in that profession, right? It's funny yeah, how no that surprise there. No surprise there whatsoever. Yeah, most lawyers, I think it's like most lawyers end up leaving the law because it's not that, it's like dentistry in a lot of ways, except with a dentist, you're largely qualified to actually clean teeth. If you graduate from law school, you're not qualified to be a lawyer yet. But, and, and the irony is the better the law school, according to the, the rankings, the less qualified you are to be useful as an attorney. You know, you might get a Wall Street job like I did, but people who went to what they call lower tier or mid tier law schools, those people actually learn the law and they're very good at what they, I should say they're decent enough at what they do by the time they get out. If you leave a top law school, you've read a bunch of Supreme Court cases and you're sort of like philosophically schooled on the law, but you don't know squat, like well, I, you wouldn't want to hire that person. And a lot of those people too don't have the interpersonal skills. That's it doesn't for translate. sure true. Right. Yeah, just there were some weirdos at, 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 in higher tier school. And, and yeah, and I've seen that in a lot of schools that I go and speak into. I'll go speak at like Harvard or something. And I'm like, OK, there's some normal, cool people here. But holy crap, is there like a disproportionate number <laughs> of weirdos also? Yeah. So what the hell? Yeah, that that makes sense, though. That's academia yeah. in general. Yeah, that's I always say, give me a C plus student with emotional intelligence over an A plus student with 100 percent. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So this is, I want to get into the podcasting thing because you've ended up being super successful with this whole podcasting thing. Yeah. And uh, you go from being attorney to ultimately now this is your full-time thing, doing the podcasting, you've reaching millions of people, millions of downloads every single month. Take us back, man. How did you go from all that, you know, in a nutshell, how did you go from all that to where we are today? From all of what? Sorry. How do you go what, from we practicing law to then getting? I know you do, you're doing the the podcast thing, but how does it, where, where does it start? I know we have limited time, so where does it start yeah. to just go for you? What was happening? Well, I was doing the show in law school, and I kept doing the show when I got to Wall Street because it was like a fun hobby, and I really enjoyed it. And I was selling, you know, phone coaching and other coaching at that time too. And I didn't want to be a life coach or anything. I thought that stuff was lame, but I was, you know, getting hired and I thought, Oh, cool. It's like consulting. It's like a little side hustle. It's kind of fun. I kind of control what I do and what I, how much time I spend. And then, uh, I ended up getting a job on Sirius XM satellite radio on Friday nights. And I would just take off from the firm if I had any work. And then at, at about seven, do my show for a couple hours and then come back if necessary, or just leave early on Friday, which I was able to do a lot of anyway. And I was like, you know, this is fun. I'm kind of like this lawyer. I'm like a, it's like a, I'm a lawyer with like a, another side hustle and everybody sort of knew about it. And it was funny to me and it was entertaining to me, but I also kept doing the podcast. Then when the economic downturn of 2008 hit, I left the law, but I kept doing the podcast and kept doing the satellite radio show. And I was just like, you know, I prefer this. So I had a bunch of friends of mine who were also lawyers that were like, 
yeah, we're getting our asses handed to us. We're getting laid off, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, I'm about to get laid off too because they're laying off the whole first year class and giving us a bunch of money. And there, a couple of friends of mine were like, I'm going to see if I can start a band. And I was like, what an idiot. You know, we're like 26, 27 years old. You're going to start a band. And then I was like, wait a minute. It now is the time. Now is the time. Right, like the economy's kind of going in the tank. We already live in New York. We get a law firm giving us a huge ass severance. Like, when else are you going to do this? You don't have any kids. You have minimal student loan payments, or you have a lot of student loan payments that you can defer for a year or whatever. Like, now is the time to do that. And there was a lot of logic to that. And I thought, well, if these guys are going to go and try their harebrained shit, if I can say that on your show, and I've already got a radio show a podcast with a side hustle that's generating revenue. What if I go all in on this? I'm well, I'm way ahead of these people who are just like, maybe I'll be in a band. So I, I gave that a shot and I thought I've got a couple of years of runway in terms of savings and revenue and income to make this pop off. And it did, you know, it was slow, very slow, but that's what led us here. You know, my initial- When you say slow, when you say slow what were the downloads at the beginning for you? I don't even think there were statistics uh, about there that. Weren't. And there were certainly no podcast ads, so it didn't make any sense. You know, I was just getting money from people that were paying me for speaking gigs and consulting. And I was like, you know, if I make the equivalent of like 50, 60 grand a year, it's a major pay cut from Wall Street, but it's, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I go out all the time. I live in Manhattan in a nice place. Like, this is awesome. You know, I'll do this okay. for a while. Wow. So, and then it was like, Oh, it's starting to increase. Oh my gosh, we made a million bucks this year. Wow, we made two million bucks this year in a recession. You know, that kind of thing started to really sort of dawn on, it started to dawn on me that we we were doing something that was like a real idea. We didn't have any business mentorship. We, we had people trying to scam us all the time. We had all these shady vendors. But then we finally hired this one guy who was like a professional assistant at a, at a, is it a modeling agency? He was a professional sort of admin in business. And he's like, okay, guys, you need my help. We hired him. He helped us straighten things out. And he's like, you guys have no idea how to run a business. This is like really pathetic, but you guys are killing it. So you are doing a lot of things that are correct, but you have no idea how to run a business. And instead of doing what everybody else did and be like, let me be the CEO. Let me manage you guys for six figures out. He was like, just pay me, you know, what I like my hourly wage, but I'm gonna, you know, take my advice. I'm 50. I've been working in businesses for decades. I know how to run things. So we're like, okay. He's like, hire a bookkeeper. So we hired a bookkeeper. You know, we, he like straightened us out. And then eventually we let him go because we were moving to LA. And he's like, you guys might actually be okay. And it was really funny because now there's all these like startup incubators and mentorship programs and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of those are scams too, by the way. But back then there was nothing like that. Like if you wanted to start a business, did you even know anybody who owned a business? Hell no. Like maybe you knew somebody who owned a dry cleaner or a diner. You didn't know anybody right. who had a business. Certainly nobody who had an online business. There was no one. And you say we, who are you, who, who are you talking about? Who is we? Me and, the, me and like my, my former business partners, we just sort of started it and we're like, okay, so if we charge money on PayPal for this, like we weren't even doing our taxes in the beginning. We hired a tax guy and he's like, can I see your return from last year? And we were like, oh yeah, we should like, probably oh, taxes. do oh, shit. that. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm going to amend this. We're going to have penalties, but it's not, it'll be fine. We right. can get ahead of it. I remember your prior podcast. I remember listening to it. That's kind of, I don't know, maybe six years ago, six, seven years ago, I was listening yeah. and podcasting was kind of cool coming up and Joe Rogan was coming up and I was yeah. like, yeah, man, I think I can do something like this. I would want to do this. This is, this is kind of cool. 
Yeah. So you, you inspired me without, you know, I'm sure you inspired quite a few other people too. I appreciate that. I'm glad. Yeah, my former company, I can't really do or say much about it because, you know, they actually wanted to, we had an amicable split set up. They didn't honor that deal. Then they sued me when they saw I was successful. They didn't win that lawsuit, which is hilarious and very gratifying. And here we are. And I don't know where their business is now, but I also don't care. <laughs> was so. there, I listened to one of your podcasts with uh, Chase Jarvis. Yeah. And you talked about, how there was a moment in time when you were doing the podcast and you kind of lost that spark. So what, what was the lesson from that? What was going on where you kind of just didn't care as much? You weren't doing as much research. It was affecting the way you were talking to the guests. When you go back and look at that, do you know what was causing that? And then ultimately, how did you kind of regain it? How did you regain that passion? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't really remember losing the passion. I remember being kind of bored talking about dating and relationships. Uh, but then I decided to talk about whatever I wanted. And that was one of the things that upset my business partners. They're like, you have to do, you have to talk about dating and relationships. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, you have to. I'm like, I don't want my face on that all the time we're you know i'm starting to get at that point i was in my mid 30s i was like going to get married i'm like this is starting to make me look dumb you know because we don't have our stuff together in this area and also i want to migrate away from it and they were like well you have to do that i'm like well then you put your face on it man and they didn't want to do that i'm like so i take all the sort of reputational risk and i have to share the revenue with you guys like i don't i don't think so and so, uh, so it was that more so it was the topics off. the topics was was turning you off is that yeah, I mean, yeah. Who wants to talk about the same topic for fifteen years? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, it gets old. It gets really old, unless the topic is growing with you. Like, if you're talking about real estate investing, I, I assume that can stay relevant and interesting over a longer period of time. But if you're talking about dating and relationships, there's kind of nothing more pathetic. Like, going back to my former partners, like one of them is like fifty. So you're talking about picking up chicks in bars and you're 50. Like, I don't know if it's sad or criminally pathetic. Like what, where are we? <laughs> right. So it's just, it's just weird as hell. And so there's something that you talked about in that interview. And I'm, I, I have to go back. I, I don't know for sure, but it seemed like you said you kind of lost a little bit of that edge and that spark. You didn't care that much. And like we're saying, mm -hmm. what allowed you to then turn it back on? Cause you said, once you turned it back on, you were like a whole new person again. Yeah, I mean, I, I started to just do whatever I wanted in terms of interviews. And I was like, look, I'm either going to quit doing it or I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. So why not just do it the way I want to do it? And then worst case, I just quit. And so I interviewed authors like Robert Greene. And I remember Robert Greene after the interview was like, this is one of the best interviews I've ever done. Why did we why don't we you know, why did this take so long? You know, you're good at this. And I was like, well, that's great. He's been interviewed by a lot of people. And this is like a very smart guy. So that's really a really cool bit of encouragement from Robert Greene. And I realized, okay, I put a lot of passion into that one. I read the whole book. I got another book of his. I read that whole book. I took a bunch of notes. I had like eight pages of notes. And I told my wife, I was like, that's the best show I've ever done. And the guest really loved it. And she's like, well, what did you do differently? And I'm like, well, I read the whole book. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, it took a ton of work. I couldn't possibly do that for every guest. And she's like, well, you can either do it for every guest and have really great shows or you can not do it and then, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, I can't really lie to myself. It's like if you're working out, but you don't track anything that you do and you just do bench press and like some leg curls every day. 
you're not really going to get results and you know that you're lying to yourself about what you're doing, but you're just sort of giving yourself just enough of a workout to be like, I went to the gym, you know, and you realize this is just BS or you're like, yeah, I'm on a diet where I sort of like try and eat one green thing every day, I guess. That's not mm. really going to do what you need it to do. You're not tracking the protein, your macros, whatever these guys have to track. Right? You're not doing any of that stuff. So I was like, all right, I can keep lying to myself and say that the product quality is going to be high even though I don't read the book, or I can just like figure out how to freaking read the book and do the work. And that's wow. what I started to do. And then it was like, well, I don't have time to do all this other crap, like manage social media for the company. So I hired it out. Now, eventually, I was just like, social media is a waste of time. I'm not trying to be an influencer. You know, I don't want to do it at all. So I just stopped doing that. And then, I, you know, now it's really obvious, but when people are really good at one thing, it's because they focus on that thing. They don't do 7 billion other things. Like you, how many professional athletes play more than one sport? It's pretty few and, it's pretty few and far between, right? Like Michael yeah. Jordan's baseball stint and like Bo. Bo and uh, uh, Deion Sanders are the only two I know. Right. I mean, there's yeah. just not a lot. So if you want to be a really damn good interviewer, why are you screwing around on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, making videos? Like, what are you doing? Right. You know, and the and I think that that has that bears out pretty well. Like, I know people that do okay on a lot of those platforms, and they have teams of twenty, or they do okay on those platforms, but they don't do great on any one of them. And so, I wanted to be really good at long form conversations, and I don't really care that like I don't have a good set. And I don't care that I don't have an animated introduction, or I didn't at the time. And I don't care that I don't have a TikTok following because I don't have a TikTok account. None of that stuff matters. You know, I, podcasting is is open, um, open ecosystem. You know, it's not controlled by Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. It's just a better platform. And those smaller platforms, they don't reward the type of work that I like to do. You can't do long form interviews on TikTok. And you can sort of on YouTube, but then, you know, depending on where the algorithm is that day, it might punish you for that. Podcasting oh, really? never does that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, it used to be playtime on, this is just one example, but it used to be like playtime on a video was what YouTube really looked at. And my YouTube super influencer, 20 million whatever subscriber type friends, they're like, oh, now you have to make really short videos because now it's percentage of video played, not absolute number of minutes played. Oh, so I'm like, so you went all in on making long hour long whatever, and now like suddenly you have to make three minute long videos, and they're like, yeah, two to three minutes. So imagine changing your entire creating strategy to please Google's ad service algorithm. Like forget that. Oh, it's That's crazy. the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, podcasting is unbelievable. It's still super infant too right now. You've been doing this for a little while, but yeah, the whole industry, years. yeah, the whole industry yeah. is very infant when you still compare to the radio numbers, even though I don't know who listens to radio, but people still do because radio is still so much bigger than podcasting. And I feel like we're just scratching the surface now with this whole podcasting thing. But I'm curious. So you had the prior uh, podcast. When how did you hook up with podcast one? I had sort of like stalked them and went after them and they were not interested, not interested, not interested. And then I was like, you know, damn it. I want to earn ad revenue. Come on, here are my numbers. And they were like, fine, whatever. So they put on a few ads, no big deal, nothing major. And then we grew and then we grew and then we grew and then we grew. And I met the CEO and he's like, who's this guy who's growing hundred percent year on year. And he started to listen to my show, Norm Pattis, who's actually, um, you know, kind of a legend in radio. He basically invented syndicated radio. And he was, he, he sent me an email once and he goes, 
I'm driving from L.A. to, I think it was Montecito, where he had like a fancy house or something. And he's like, I listened to a few of your episodes. This is really good. And I was like, oh, who's this Norm guy? I know he's the CEO of Podcast One. I guess that's pretty cool. And then I talked to some friends of mine who were in radio, and they're like, if he says your show's good, it's objectively good. Because he, he's he been in radio since like the 60s or something. You know, this is not a guy who's just going to give you a compliment for no reason. So I became... Uh, a, a major show on podcast one. And as time grew and our show kept growing and growing and growing, I just realized like this is, you know, if, if people who are in the business tell you you're good at what you do, that means more than like your mom telling you you're good at what you do. Right. So that started to become a thing. My mom tells where, me I'm good at everything I do. Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of like when Robert Greene said, hey, you're really good at interviewing. I was like, well, okay, if Norm Pattis says I'm, I'm good in, in the radio format or the podcast format, then it's true. You know, if Adam Carolla says, hey, you're really good at this, then it's true. If Dr. Drew says you're good at this, it's true. You know, but like you start to believe you that you're good at this, Jordan. You know, you're good at this, right? Yeah. There's but people but that might not like your style. Sure. There's plenty of people that don't. But yeah. Yeah. You think you're good at it now. But like in the beginning, you're just like, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people are good at this. It's not like I'm the only one. But now that the show is where the, now that the Jordan Harbinger show is the size that it is, it's like, well, OK, the. The market, which is always a good look, Wall Street's coming out, but the market says this is one of the best podcasts uh, in, in the world. I mean, the numbers bear that out. The advertisers are paying for that. The downloads speak for themselves. You can't force people to download your show. So that means a lot. You know, it's kind of like the public has spoken. It's a what's was it Meryl Streep who's like, they like me. They really, really like me. Right. She got that freaking Oscar or whatever it was like that. That kind of that's how it, that's how it feels. You know, I don't care about awards. I care about people that I'll never meet who download my show on their iPhone. Those people are the important people. I don't care about the Academy. It doesn't even exist. Right. So you, you guys are pulling in millions of downloads every month. Right. I mean, that's wild, brother. Yeah, that is, is absolutely wild. Tell me about it. I mean, it's wild even for me to think about. Sorry, I have a little neck pain. That's why I'm looking in every different direction. My neck is freaking bothering me. No, I mean, that's it, it's a crazy thing, man. I mean, you know, you go back to the early days where it's a couple hundred downloads and then and here you are with millions every single month. That's got to yeah. be absolute. And you probably get numb to it, of course, like anything else yeah. over time. But yeah, uh, and I, I don't I deliberately don't think about it. I don't let it go to my head. Well, one, the last thing you want to think about when you're going, huh, this might be an opinion that's controversial, but is, oh my God, so many people are going to hear this. What are they going to think? You don't want to do that. And then also, I've never really met anybody. Why don't you want to do that real quick, Jordan? Why don't you want to do that? Why don't you want to do that? Because you're going to second guess what you're going to say. And then you're going to be like, oh, well, it's really easy to go. Will one in any of these millions of people be offended by what I'm about to say? Are they going to take it the wrong way? Have I ever met anyone in my entire life that could misinterpret this? Talk about getting in your head. And then the other the other thing is, I've never really met anybody that has any degree of fame. I'm not saying I'm famous. Beyonce is famous. Uh, but I've never met anybody who has any degree of fame, even like people that have a lot of Twitter or TikTok followers, that, that is cognizant of that fame and is not a completely insufferable a-hole. So uh, I'm like, okay, just, you know, the benefit, th there's no benefit to thinking about how many people are listening unless you're sure. having a bad day and you want to feel good about yourself. Fine. But if you focus on all those people, you're going to get in your head and then you're going to get a big head on top of it. It's like, well, is that going to help me with what I'm doing, which is trying to help a bunch of people and give good advice and do good interviews? Not really. You know, sure. I think about it if it's like, oh, should I... Should I pitch a Kobe Bryant? He might say no. Well, you have millions of people listening. All right, I'm going to send that email. That's the only time it's useful, but I don't really need to do that at this point. Yeah.
Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Hey, listen, I I know that um, this is about the uh, as much time as we have right now, but I, I just want to say congratulations with everything. Thank you, dude. Last question for for me mm-hmm. is uh, looking ahead. I know you've just signed a multi year deal with Podcast One. We just mentioned Podcast yeah. One. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long is the deal for? So I can't disclose that. Um, I was just going to say, oh, is it a multi-year deal? I was going to be cheeky, but no, I can't disclose it. And I don't really know why, but I can't because I think it's dumb that I can. It doesn't make any sense that I can't, but I'm not supposed to say it. Yeah, it could be a multi-year deal for a dollar. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Well, they did say that the deal was high seven figures, but they wouldn't say the amount of time, which I was like, well, you- (laughs) That's why you can't say it. Like, why wouldn't you- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People are going to do the math. And the other reason, actually, I think, and I don't have any backing on this really, but I think if you say when your deal ends, what it does is it primes agents from Spotify or whatever big networks, and they Mm. just put a little calendar invite that says, call this Jordan guy because his contract is about to expire. And usually networks want their big talent. Um, I want to punch myself in the face for just using that to describe myself. But networks usually (laughs) want their talent to they want to renew that contract for as long as possible and they don't want anybody to know that it's up for renewal and they want everybody to know when it's been renewed yes. you know it's kind of like e- like an auction you well the i gotta less tell you, people I, that know the better i was in the uh, nfl sports agent business for a few years and it's the same thing when a guy's contract was coming up you had a 90-day window to go and poach that guy for the next contract that's that agent's worst nightmare when their client's up for the next deal because they know all the agents are coming. It's the same thing here. Right. Similar it's, hey, why don't you come down fly in my yacht? Oh, Nate exactly. doesn't have a yacht? Well, exactly. What a oh, chunk. Oh, jeez. Podcast anyway. One doesn't have a yacht, right? Yeah. It's like one of right. those things. Yeah. Hey, it's, last oh, question real, last question real quick. What, what do you see sure. for yourself moving forward 2022 and beyond? Is this just podcast or, or do you have other plans as well? Yeah, I'm I'm going to scale up the show as much as possible because now I have two kids, both babies, and the you know everyone's like, do this and this and this and this. And I'm like, I'm going to do more of what I like, which is doing the podcast, and less of what I don't like, which is literally everything else other than parenting my kids. So I'm scaling the show up so that if I decide to do half the amount of work, I still make the same amount of money that I am now, for example. Uh, or more likely, let's say that the industry or the market corrects and it's no longer raining $100 bills from the sky for people in digital media, well, then I'm not going to be in the poorhouse because I scaled up. So if my income scales back down, fine, it slides to what, 95% of where it is now or 150% of where it is now instead of 300% of what it is now in three years, like I'll survive. So that's my insurance policy. Also, since media is consolidating, you know, you see Spotify buying this and building that and this app's no longer functioning and Apple's asleep at the wheel. You know, you see these things consolidating. The best insurance policy for that is to be big enough that you're important enough for them to care about. Because I think small creators in the creator economy can get crushed. Mm. You know, and just look at YouTube. How much do small creators make on YouTube? Nothing. Nothing. Single digit, double digit dollars, nothing. So they can't afford to do it full time. Huge creators on YouTube, they make a lot of money, but if they were in podcasting and they had the same amount of downloads as they do views, they would have like, they would have Joe Rogan money. Right, right, right. right? But they don't because Google takes all the margin. So you want to be big and you want to be in podcasting and and you want to make sure that you own your own stuff. You own your own, the rails. You want to own the rails. Yep. That's beautiful advice. Hey, man, listen, uh, best of luck, continued success. Everyone check him out. Jordan Harbinger, Jordan Harbinger show. We'll link you in the show notes. 
one of the best podcasters in the world. Thank you, man. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Optimal Life Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And you could also leave a review. Apple Podcasts, of course, you could leave reviews and ratings. Spotify, you could leave reviews and ratings. And several and many other podcast apps, wherever you may be listening, please tell a friend, tell a family member, let them know about the podcast, and we will see you next time.